0: District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about the organization, visit www.cfact.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. As promised, I will have some more exclusive interviews for you today, including today's guest, Jake Latondras. Jake is the owner of Latondras Media Collective. He also is the owner of Town Pump Restaurant in Fort Collins. And he also manages and is the owner and operator of a hunting outfit called Prairie Rock Outfitters. I first met Jake, and I'll explain this in the interview, about six years ago in person. We were actually randomly sitting next to each other at the Bull Moose Awards hosted by the Outdoor Sportsman Group at SHOT Show. And we had first connected on social media with the help of Kara Harper who was mentored by Jake and I've kept in touch with Jake ever since we follow each other closely on social media he is a really creative video storyteller he's been in the business for a long time and you're going to hear about his story you're going to hear about some of his work some of the challenges and setbacks he's had due to COVID to his business and also a non-industry related business Uh, one of the oldest pubs and bars in Colorado and Fort Collins, as I mentioned earlier, and some current events I think that you'll find his take to be interesting on. So here is my interview with Jake Latondres. check it out and let me know what you think. I am joined by Jake Latondres, a longtime industry contact and friend that I've had and someone who kind of has a pulse on all things video, media, business. And we're going to catch up and and we're going to talk about some things that are kind of on his mind relating to a multitude of subjects. So Jake, thank you so much for joining. How are things going for you in Colorado?
1: Oh, it's going better. (laughs) Like, you know, we talked about earlier, uh, I feel like we're climbing out of a hole. So, you know, the, the, uh, the 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 outlook is much better but we still got a ways to go but yeah thank you for having me i'm i'm very happy and uh, proud and honored to be here so uh, i'm looking forward to this conversation this is going to be a little bit different than the normal podcast that i'm used to <laughs> because of the content that you put out which uh, you know, I commend you on because I think it's very, ne- it's necessary, particularly in today's day and age mm-hmm. of politics and government policies and all those things that, that needs to be talked about and heard. And while, you know, we don't all, we're not always constantly watching the news about policies that we're, you know, that we're familiar with, you bring a lot of those things to light. And, and uh, I noticed a lot of people were following you when you tapped into the South Dakota uh, governor's mm-hmm. uh, life and, and, and her, her way of, of, uh, of, you know, developing policies. And, and I was very proud of that because my dad's from South Dakota. So thank you very much. And congratulations.
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah. That was a real honor. Her staff is really professional and she's been under some heat recently, but I think she'll come through with it. I think it's just, uh, some people in, uh, our political side who are, I think, excoriating her a little too much, Um, And I think all will be resolved and she'll still have a political future, but no, she, she really is a nice person. And I think some of the media portrayals of her from both the right and the left are a little bit exaggerated um, from there. So yeah, no, that was a really big honor. And I I really loved going to the roundup, the Buffalo roundup that was so unique. I had never seen anything like it and it was really cool um, to do that and to learn like how to film on a moving vehicle and, having like audio errors. So it was, it was a good learning experience, good opportunity. And so far that video has actually been one of my best performing on YouTube ever. So that was really cool to have that. And, and to speak with her, she, she maybe wants to revisit again. So we'll see uh, what happens in that respect, but thank you Jake for paying attention to that and uh, kind of for your mentioning of, of just keeping, you know, an eye on these different issues and and I don't do it to get approval. I think oftentimes I subject myself to criticism more when I'm, you know, covering these policies. And I think in the sporting and not so much the sporting, but sometimes in the conservation community, it doesn't sit well with people. They say, well, you're not articulating the right things. You're kind of biased in a certain way. And I'm like, how am I biased if I'm kind of counteracting <laughs> what the prevailing attitudes in, in environmentalism and conservation is? But, you know, we try to do a good job here, and I have great backers and supporters and my sponsors, and we have great guests like you to talk about different subjects, you know, spanning public policy, business, storytelling, and things of that sort. So why don't you tell people a little bit about your biography, and I'll talk a little bit later about how we came to meet.
1: Sure, yes. So I'm a a multimedia uh, producer in the outdoor industry, have been for 22 years now. Um, really started out outside of the hunting community. I've always been a hunter and a fisherman, but uh, you know my career started with uh, co- with the North Face company as a photographer. And as things evolved through uh, photography and video values, you know when 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 social media really hit the ground and exploded like it did. Uh, that opened up lots of other doors and opportunities, opened up lots of room for way more competition and, and everyone's doing it now. But I think it's, you know, it's a, it's our way of life in terms of how we all communicate. We're all video driven and digitally driven now. So, you know, we've adapted to the multimedia concept and, you know, we do everything from shooting TV commercials or, or you know, commercials for people that, that manufacturers that that promote and market on different platforms including their own and social media we do feature films we do short films um you know if 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 it's a good fit uh and their chemistry's right and it's something that we like to do then you know we'll take on any project so that's really sort of a, a foundation of of what latondrous media is all about Some of your
0: videos that have been published, I really loved your trip. I think it was to South America and correct me if I'm wrong. Was it Bolivia where the Dorado trout is?
1: Yeah, that's on that, I Rio love that video. river. Yeah. yeah, I think in our earlier conversation, we were talking about, you know, that, that, that area in Bolivia is one of my favorite places I've ever been. It's as wild as, as you can possibly imagine. It's literally in the tributaries of the Amazon uh river jungle and and coming out of it I didn't realize the people that own the company that I was helping uh, build promotional values for angling frontiers um, you know the two owners particularly one of them has become one of my very best friends so we communicate through whatsapp and and uh, social media almost I would say I would say we probably talk two to three times daily. Um, and that's that's an everyday occurrence. So wow. yeah, that was that was a cool trip. And I made some very, very dear friends.
0: Yeah. And you've done a lot stateside, obviously. You've done a lot abroad. And and what have some of your other projects with your media company been so far in addition to that Dorado experience? You you're really good at storytelling. And I've it caught my eye when you did that Dorado trip and, and some of your other ones. But what are some other examples you have too?
1: Yeah. I mean, if I could, you know, there's so many, I mean, I've been doing this for 22 years, so to, to name them all would be difficult, but, you know, plugging that into what you do, one of the most important things that we've done is, uh, is the, uh, the visual content for the Vanishing Paradise project, which is through the National Wildlife Federation. Um, Vanishing Paradise is designed, um, is a conservation program designed to, Um, enhance and bring back the the uh, barrier islands and the delta down in south louisiana all the way up from mississippi down to uh, uh south louisiana along the delta to restore that habitat wildlife habitat down there so that was really cool coming to washington lobbying with congressmen and and you know trying to help them unplug or 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 I should say tap into the, you know, they got a big lawsuit um, out of the the oil spill years ago. I think they got $7 billion out of that lawsuit. And that that money still being held up in legislature, everything's been approved, but the money hasn't been distributed yet. So all these projects that are waiting to be done, which are completely designed, ready to roll, haven't been funded yet. Because they have to go through, they have to go through Congress to get to this money. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what we did was help bring awareness to the area. We help bring awareness to the project. We help bring awareness to the problem and the pro- and why the problem exists, how long it's been in existence, and what the ramifications are. Of, of the problem which is you know which was which was most most visually seen and felt emotionally felt through the the her, the Katrina hurricane in New Orleans years ago um, that was that was a telltale sign of what would happen when those those barrier islands disintegrated because they channelized the Mississippi River for distribution of of, of you know, manufacturing. And so anyhow, that's, that's really a really important project that I feel very honored to be a part of.
0: You know, Bill Cooksey from Vanishing Paradise. He, he's a great guy if you do. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Cooksey's I've known Cooksey for, um, for, oh, probably over 20 years. That's Uh, awesome. Yeah. When he was with Avery, Avery Outdoors, um, I was a pro staff member when I was a much younger lad in the outdoor industry and Bill Cooks, he was, he was the marketing director for Avery. So I've known him for a really long time. We work very closely together. I just talked to Bill yesterday and and they picked the right person to head, to spearhead that project for sure. He's a great guy.
0: Mm -hmm. Very good
1: communicator.
0: Yes, absolutely. He, I actually, um, Went to, I first met him when he did a flyover, maybe you were at this flyover, but I didn't get to connect with you when you were here. But another friend of mine from Florida who knows Bill, Travis Thompson, and I, we all met for coffee at the Reagan Center. Uh, I think maybe that was the same flyover. I'm not too sure. <laughs> but no, he's a repository of info. I've had him on the podcast. He knows his stuff. He's really well-equipped to be in that role. And I know one other person at um, National Wildlife Federation, David Wilms, who actually helped me gut my uh, white-tailed doe from Wyoming. So he, he's really nice, too. And, and he runs the uh, Your Mountain podcast, too. So there are some good
1: people in the organization. I mean, I think one of the most important things that that came out of that was the National Wildlife Federation, you know, began tapping into more more conservative uh, group of people and using Mm -hmm. sportsmen because they did realize even, you know, those on the left at the National Wildlife Federation realized where the funding was coming from for wildlife Mm -hmm. conservation. So instead of fighting it and arguing and bickering over it, they decided to collaborate with sportsmen which I felt like was a very bold, was very bold yet, um, honest, honest, you know, position to take because that could have created some, some, uh, political issues for them and perhaps some, you know, some, some backlash for them, but mm-hmm. it didn't because they did it the right way and they picked the right people. So that was a, that was a really good, you know, um, that was a really good, Combination of bringing people together to to help um, to help resolve an issue that that means more to all of us than people realize.
0: Yeah, sometimes you I think you can get along with people and find common solution. Although we do see some divisions, and we may talk about that a little later. But like the Great American Outdoors Act. And I know for that issue uh, that you were just alluding to, uh, that it is possible to sometimes separate differences and get people to work together on these issues. But sometimes our differences sadly cannot weigh the commonalities where we can all work together. And that sucks, but that's just unfortunately the day the the time that we're in, I would argue. Uh, But when we first met, I think it was six years ago, we met through Kara Holland, who is now Kara Harper. And, uh, we randomly sat next to each other at the golden moose awards. And you made a prediction to me, you said within like five to six years, this type of format or this type of like traditional TV storytelling is not going to exist, or it's going to be less, how would you say prevalent? Is that predict, did that prediction come true to you? Uh, just right. kind of what you see video storytelling and, in outdoor programming, uh, coming to be is it, what what are your thoughts on outdoor programming? Yeah, as I mean, it I think
1: I think there's you know there's really two platforms now, and you can divide them into television and social media, and they're both visual. They both you know have the same effect on people, but there are so many more people on social media platforms like all all the ones that we know of, you know, Twitter, Facebook um Instagram and you gotta throw YouTube in there as well because YouTube is really the, the bit is probably the most visually connected platform on planet earth right now in terms of mm-hmm. true video you know platform for tutorials for educational pieces for political purposes for entertainment all those things youtube is 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 massive and so i think i think it has overtaken the t- television the the importance and the magnitude and the significance of outdoor television but i think that the transition was television networks okay figured out i think i think it took 2 years of transitional thinking and brainstorming. I mean, the conversation for two w- years with most of my colleagues was, was well, how, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? Our sponsors aren't going to spend money on television anymore because they believe social media has overcome that and how do we deal with this what are we going to have to do well you're going to have to hire someone like me to create social media content for you Uh, there's lots of people doing it are you going to have to bring people in-house and start doing it yourselves and what really happened was uh, sponsors started they saw the importance of television which there still is a very important factor um you know under uh, underneath the, the television platform and there's also pro- a more important factor for social media so what sponsors did was they started demanding you know we're going to give you this these sponsorship dollars like we have been but you need to make a bigger presence on social media then the 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 talent and the producers were saying okay well if we're going to have to double up on our work because we've got contracts with on social media platforms, because the viewership away from them, then you're going to have to pay us more in sponsorship to create more content for social media, okay? So so what are we going to do here? And I think there was a stalemate for, you know, at least a year on on people changing sponsors and, and losing money and then figuring out how to pick up new sponsors. And so now I think we're in that, we're, we're well within that transition and it's working out better for everybody now.
0: Yeah, you see a lot of people create content on social media for sure. And going back to YouTube, that is probably one of the most challenging platforms to grow, but I have seen quite a bit of growth personally on mine. I have over 1400 followers now, and I'm very close to hitting the 4,000 watch hours. I have like oh, less than 600 or less than 700 now, which to be is able nice to monetize, yeah, to monetize. but yeah. I don't really care about making money from it, but it's just would be nice to have that, like to, to kind of use as like a bargaining chip to people and be like, well, I can get you guys like all these great views and different consumers and watchers to come. And I just want to have that assurance. So I don't have to work over and over again, but I'm really close to that benchmark, but it, it is true. You said it's probably one of the more accessible platforms flaws and all, I think. Um, and, and if you're able to configure like SEO on YouTube, you're going to be able to do fine there. And as long as you're not doing anything super inflammatory, I think you'll be okay. And you can do political, you can do conservation content, storytelling, just matters how you, how you phrase stuff. But it does offer a lot of conversation, I think with, with individuals. And it does help people open up to the outdoors. I've seen my like fishing videos get a lot of engagement because it's kind of how to, it's longer form content. I explain different tips. I explain different resources. And so I think Um, learning to do that when you're often told you have to do smaller segmented clips, like trying to create like 10 minute videos can be tedious. And you're like, Oh, I don't want to hear myself talking, or I don't want to have like all this different B-roll footage, but I know for YouTube, they do encourage you to do longer form content. And it really is a good way to kind of open people up to different ideas in different formats of like outdoor activity. So I, I do agree that it is one of the more powerful ones. And Facebook can sometimes be that too. It's kind of a hit or miss, but on some of the other social media platforms, what you've probably observed is that it's really pay to play. So if you don't pay, you know, in ads, you're, you're going to get very limited reach unless somehow you're able to still overcome the algorithm and hit something and and get people to watch and click and follow through and share. So yeah, it, it is really interesting how social media has become this vehicle for outdoor storytelling more so than traditional TV, which still, like you said, has a purpose, but everyone is also doing streaming content, which, I don't know if many young people apart from like Netflix and some of the others are really going to go out of their way to pay like on TV channel, like news channels. I don't see anyone really buying like a Fox subscription or a CNN subscription or an NBC news subscription. And it, it, it doesn't seem like that's the case.
1: You have access to that in so many places you don't even need. Like I rarely turn my television on. I still pay for <laughs> direct TV, but I rarely turn it on. I'm a visual person and I am on my phone a lot um for for lots of different reasons. Almost 95% of the time it's for business. But I, I just think there's so much information out there. And you know, taking a step back and to what you said earlier, I want to touch on on public criticism because mm-hmm. at the end of the day it's easy to be a keyboard warrior. You know, when you're when you're watching content and, and you make a a a critical judgment about someone because of what you just watched. It's easy for you to be, you know, tough behind your keyboard mm-hmm. or at least, at least uh um, you know, verbal about it, openly verbal about it. You can say whatever you want. No one's gonna show up at your front doorstep and and do anything to you because because you're hiding. And at the same time, I believe that, you know, all the things that we've gone through, particularly the past 13 Twelve or thirteen months has made us even more critical, and it's created more division. Mm-hmm. And even within our own, you know, brotherhood or brethren or cultures, there's more division because we've, 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 you know, we've we're we're splitting hairs now in in views, and there's lots of hybridization going on between you know uh, fence jumping and in the political arena that it's very difficult to say, you know, you have to be brave and you have to be, uh, you have to have thick skin and you have to be ready. You have to be in the state of readiness all the time because everything that you say can be criticized and probably will be criticized, by someone, most likely half the people that are watching what you're saying are going to be critical. You go back and look at your YouTube videos. I'll Mm -hmm. I'll look at mine and some of them that I have almost a million views on, there's going to be, you know, 80% thumbs up. Mm -hmm. And then there's like 20% of the people thumbs down, you go through your comments, you know, there's 20% of the people that are on there criticizing hunting, they're anti hunters, they're bashing it, they're anti gun owners, all these things. And at one time, if you remember it was it was hard to swallow that stuff you wanted to get it you wanted to fight for your cause because these people these keyboard warriors were very vocal and very direct and brutally honest about their opinions on what you were doing and you wanted to fight over it but now think about us going through all this transition it's like it just it beads like like you know it's just it's it be, it's, it just runs right over your back and over your head because you don't even pay attention to it anymore, you know,
0: yeah, and the opposite can be true, too. I think sometimes hunters can be their own worst enemies. I was sharing with you beforehand kind of the uh, let's say, communications war that we're seeing now between should you be for rec- hunter recruitment, Should you be against hunter recruitment? And I'm like the circle firing squad. I've seen this in different sectors, politics, business now hunting. It's starting to creep in the outdoor industry, sadly. And it seems like you can't win on any situations, but I actually agree that you should have hunting recruitment. I'm the product of hunting recruitment. I mean, I was already plugged into the outdoor industry because I fish, I've been fishing for much of my life. So I wasn't opposed to it. I, I like the principle of eating organic free range meat. I've always been exposed to different cuts of meat coming from Eastern Europe, having that family background. So I was, I was already ingrained into the culture and other people are not so lucky to have friends who do this, to have friends who work in shooting sports or to have, to be plugged into this. And for me, when I see that type of article, it was from a meat eater writer. I think it was Steven Ronello's brother. And I I really appreciated the response from outdoor life when they say like, because I'm worried about overcrowdedness or, you know, only people who were hunting from their fathers or their parents are only best equipped to do this. And, and, and I'm like, well, and, and this completely defeats, I think the purpose of what meat eater was, you know, stands for. And I think what other different outlets stand for, if they kind of convey this and it gives credence to some of their the criticism hurled at these organizations who say well they maybe are elitist they're kind of a bro culture things of that sort and i understand ranella himself Stephen rail and some of the others didn't fully agree with this but they said well we could be sympathetic to this article so i I do want to give him the benefit of the doubt but his brother was the one who authored this of course and and people are kind of lumping it into is this where meat eater is trending to um and i think some of these bigger conglomerates because they grow so big and everyone doesn't want to criticize them or people don't want to you know challenge them challenge their theories i think there there always comes a, a a turning point, I think with anything and and everyone could be subjected to constructive criticism doesn't mean you have to cancel media or nobody I think is arguing for that. I'm certainly not, but I think, a lot of these kind of big conglomerates who have a monopoly on on certain ideas, um, they don't get challenged, so they are very surprised when people kind of criticize them in this respect. And I think people were very taken aback by Outdoor Life writing this huge editorial, just kind of breaking down what the arguments were and, and all that. So, so what have been your thoughts on that? Without so much wading into the weeds of it.
1: Yeah, I think you know, I think that um, first of all, it was Mike Cronella's opinion. Okay. And I think one of the things that's going to, is it Mike It's Matt Rennell, I think. Matt, okay. Okay. Um, you know, that was his opinion. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and I think one of the things that's coming out of, of, of the hole that we're climbing out of, because we were all stuck in our caves and our cages, watching social media on our phones, iPads and computers and televisions, and we're following all these stories. One of the, one of the, big narratives in the public in my opinion now is who do we believe we're being lied to by so many people. Who do we believe? And I think this is another bold prediction, Gabriella. Um, you know, at some point we are, we are trending towards, I'm not going to believe this. Like you have to be so authentic and real. And I don't want to see any cut edits in your videos or your speeches or any of that, because everything can be edited into sounding like you want like what someone wants you to hear that it's, it's, it's propaganda. Okay. And I'm not saying his article is propaganda. I'm a, I'm a proponent. I've been hunting for, I mean, my entire life, you know, I've been hunting for 47 years and I feel like, I feel like I don't, I'm not jealous if I if I go to public land and there are other people there, is it frustrating? Yes. If you're hunting there and someone shows up, you think they just ruin your hunt. But if you'll just be patient, there's there's so many different factors that are involved. Maybe, maybe that guy's a better hunter than you are, or more skilled, or more experienced, and maybe he knows what he's doing. And if you'll just let him go get in his tree, you go sit in your tree, who knows what can happen. So, you know, there's 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 so much behind that whole R3. Uh, agenda, and and I, I I'm I'm a proponent of it because I've all, I've been led to believe over the past ten years that you know we are dying we're a dying culture the hunting community is dying the Gr- fishing community is growing the hunting community is dying because we're losing we're losing federal waterfowl sales I think in 1975 federal waterfowl sales was up was up around. Uh, I believe the number was 2.3 million uh, duck stamps were sold in 1975. And then in 2017, 2018, the, the numbers were down to 850,000. So you're talking about, you know, a 60% loss in either recruitment or people that did hunt waterfowl that weren't buying those duck stamps. Oh, your electricity just came back on.
0: No, it's all good. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, and,
1: and, and, and um, so, you know, I've, I'm I'm fear, I'm I'm way more feel fearful of losing our rights, our heritage and our freedoms as hunters than I am worried about some guys showing up on the public land that I have because I still I mean, I have, you know, Prairie Rock Outfitters. We have a very large uh, piece of private property that we lease to run our operation on. But I still hunt public land because I enjoy mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. Um, and and I also don't want to hunt. I don't always want to hunt, you know, animals that, that, you know, we're providing, we're providing wildlife management and conservation for the hunters that are paying to come hunt with us. So there's a balance there. So, you know, again, I'm going to go back and reiterate this. I believe in balance. I believe in the the recruitment of hunters, new hunters. I think it's a fabulous thing. We went through a trend of, of, you know, at one time for years, probably five to six years women's new new recruitment into the hunting industry and the fastest growing uh uh, uh, market in the hunting industry were women and and what did that do that brought families together that brought Mm -hmm. kids more kids into the picture because you know Moms and wives were becoming more accepting and more participatory in the in the hunting activities and that brought their children outside. How how can how can anything be wrong with that. I mean, you know, let's just we can't focus on public land overcrowding because all that is, is, you know, selfishness and thinking that you're thinking about me what I can't do because more people are hunting, you know. Figure it out because we need more people to get involved because if if we don't, we're going to lose this thing. We're going to lose this battle and we're not too far from it as we are.
0: Yeah, I think even some of the major publications noted this. I saw Washington Post, Pew Trusts, people who are not really favorable to hunting, even coming around to the fact that hunters are some of the primary funders of conservation. And I've never heard a problem of overcrowdedness. I've never seen a problem of overcrowdedness while fishing or hunting. And I think that's a terrible assumption to have if you think, well, it's going to lead to overcrowding. Aren't public lands supposed to be for the enjoyment of everyone? It doesn't mean there's going to be hundreds of thousands of people on a parcel of land. Like I went hiking at Shenandoah National Park. It was crowded and it was 4th of July. It was a holiday, but I wasn't offended that there were many people there. We all were able to step aside, like make room for people to go through the different trails. Like it was very easy to do. If people are able to interact, you can make certain adjustments, you can accommodate each other very well. And I think that that type of attitude, you know, kind of this elitist attitude, like they they always complain, well, you can't criticize public land purists because we're for the public, no questions asked. And I, I think sometimes when you see that, um, they they obviously chew out people who do private land. And I think you should do everything, all of the above. I'm I'm in full agreement. You have to have balanced use. You have to have kind of balanced perspectives. And I'm of the same thinking like you, I think an attack on one form of hunting can lead to an attack on all and these petty fights over what is preferable, what is better, what makes you a, a better hunter. And even though I'm new to the sport, I think it's a distraction from the threats that you see from different legislation federally and also in different state legislatures. They're going after trapping, they're going after predator contests, predator hunting and I see that as being, you know, more problematic than who should be hunting, where should they be hunting? If you're doing it ethically and legally, that's all that matters. And I really hate that some of these organs out there do this and, and they they create this division. And it, like I said, it's not reflective of meat eater at large, but some individuals who may subscribe to their philosophy or some people who are publicly impurists may do that. But I think it doesn't matter how you hunt, just do it ethically, bring people into the fold and just continue the heritage um, especially out in urban areas. I think there's still a lot of education that needs to be done here. I live in Washington, DC. It's a pretty hunting friendly climate, but you still encounter a lot of obstacles and a lot of uh, resistance because you have the animal rights activist groups, you have the NRDC, you have all these environmental groups who don't like hunting and they're still very powerful. They still don't pay attention to different things. So I think in the cities, you have a lot of arguing and and convincing to do. And I think there's a lot of opportunities to get people to support hunting, even in a city. I think that's, that's what people miss, but yeah, these, the, these distractions over what is better, what makes you a better hunter? You have to have this equipment, this gear, uh, to, to be exactly like us. I think it's, it's very, very bad. I don't know. (laughs) I could say it more eloquently, but, but to me, I just think we waste so much time on, on the little battles when you have to worry about attacks on Gun rights or certain firearms, and and why don't you speak to that? Because I know, although you do filmmaking, you do care about what happens with different legislation, and you run a business, so it obviously impacts you how you are able to function um, with just these different challenges. But but what are your thoughts on kind of can you focus on you know habitat restoration and also preserving rights to hunt and fish, which are state amendments? It's not enshrined in the federal constitution, but different states have those, so people forget that hunting is not a, a simply a privilege. In, in many states it's actually all right in many different state constitutions and also can you also juggle support for
1: second amendment advocacy Yes yeah, so this is a really important topic for me because to me okay at the end of the day this starts this starts and ends with the second amendment because you know you can hunt with different types of weapons but as the second amendment you know gets negotiated those types of weapon, some some types of weapons may go away. So it's to me, it starts with the Second Amendment. Second of all, you know this argument, this 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 petty uh, debate about who's better or what's better, this and that, has been going on for eons. Like I remember when fly fishermen had a bias against uh, against bait f- or or bass fishermen that used bait. Yeah, casters. spin and bait, mm-hmm. and then bait casters and and and. Sp- and spinner rod users had something and, and, artificial lure anglers had something against live bait users that was cheating, you know, and, 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 and it just goes on and on. Um, bow hunters had an issue with gun hunters, you know, rifle hunters had, or, or, or muzzleloader hunters had issues with high powered long distance rifle users, you know, traditional bow hunters had had something, Uh, against compound high tech bow users and then compound bow users had something against, um, uh, uh, what do you call it? (laughs) Had something against, uh, crossbows, Mm -hmm. high tech Mm -hmm. crossbows. And so, you know, this is, this debate has been going on and on for years. People like Mark Drury and Ted Nugent, you know, that are, that are very visible and highly respected, Individuals in our culture have spoken about this many times. And in fact, if you you see it in their content, you know, they use... They use different types of equipment, not only to please their sponsors, but to reach out and touch all the people that do different, that hunt in different ways. Because at the end of the day, who cares how someone else does it? You know, if, you, if you're if you criticizing someone for it, it's your own ego telling you, convincing yourself that you think you're better than them because you do it a different way than they do. And you believe the way you're doing it is a better way which it isn't true at all. I mean, you you had to go through the stepping stones to get to a place to where you feel like you're polished, experienced and good at what you do, but you didn't just you didn't just drop out of the womb, you know, being some elite hunter at an extremely high level you had to start somewhere and you didn't know how you didn't know how to shoot a gun the first time you picked one up either not Mm -hmm. you I'm talking about the generally yeah Mm -hmm. so you know my opinion is that the 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 battles you got to pick and choose your battles we're fighting over the wrong things we're not we're not you know, adhering to the, the concept of unity, which is something we really need to do. And I know this is cliche and we've, you know, this, you can, you can listen to this all day long. You call it rhetoric or redundancy or whatever it is. At the end of the day, it's the truth. We all do have to stick together. And again, uh, this circles back around to the Second Amendment because that's where this starts and end. We're all in favor. All of us hunters are in favor. Uh, we're Second Amendment advocates. And a lot of us put our, our voting foundation on that one policy. And that that is what it, we're, we're unswayable, if that's even a word. Um, in, in the way we think because the Second Amendment is so important to us. So, you know, that's really where I stand. I'm all about um, educating people. I use my platforms to help people to get the word out. Um, and, and again, I'm going back to authenticity. I think, you know, if, if you're going to be a part of this, just be authentic and real. That way everyone everyone can see how it's supposed to be done and, and you know, leaders in our our culture are teaching young people how to do things so we need to focus on teaching them how to do it the right way and 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 again i go back to the, our heritage because I, I'm not looking at this like it's a hobby. It's just something fun to do. My parent, my my family comes from South Dakota, as I mentioned to you before, and they grew up hunting and fishing. My dad was a commercial fisherman before he became the entrepreneur that he was, and he made a living off the natural resources his entire life. And so, you know, that's where my background comes from, and and I believe it's a heritage, and it is a right. It's a privilege, and it's a right. It's a right to bear arms. It's a privilege to hunt and we all love to do it. At the end of the day, it's really not about killing. As we get older and more experienced at what we do, we appreciate the fact that we get to watch the sunrise. We get to see things like great horned owls taking a squirrel out of a tree, something that other people just don't understand. They never will, they never have, and and, and they, just, they don't know enough about it to even go try something like that. Don't take a gun, go sit in a tree stand, you know, for 30 days out of, out of 60 in the fall and winter of, of, of one season in your life and and see what we get to see when we sit in a tree for eight or 10 hours a day. And then you'll come to understand why we do what we do. We're not there to draw blood. I mean, that's our ultimate goal because the game of hunting is a, is a blood sport. I mean, I'm not going to hide from that. It is what it is. And some of us, you know, eat what we kill and a lot of people don't. And and it it doesn't make them bad people, you know. It's it's all it's all part of our culture, it's part of what we do. We all should accept each other and just move forward together instead of creating so much division within us.
0: Yeah, I think if people lived a day in hunters' shoes, then they would be able to see. I mean, in in many of my experiences so far in my young hunting career, I've had a lot of misses. So I've gotten I've been able to view different sunrises. I've been able to see different wildlife. I've taken missed shots. I've had great successful shots recently, maybe because I'm a little more experienced and a little more patient and not uppity with wanting to just like pull a trigger. I want to, you know, you control your breathing. Yeah. You have to be contemplative. You have to be mindful of your surroundings. You have to make sure you're getting the right animal size, something that's in season, making sure you're using the right apparatus and you also have to enjoy your experience around you and in your surroundings, Because you only get to have that, I guess, a few times in your short lifetime. I mean, we only live one life. And I think if people don't understand that it's an all-encompassing activity, they miss out on it. But also I think so many people think, well, you know, it's just kind of a means to an end to a career. And that's a problem. That's something I've seen. That's why I like, I've been very careful about like taking different opportunities or different um, collaborations all across my career as a self-employed person, strategist, writer, et cetera, because I don't want to misrepresent myself or be inauthentic as you were talking about the the need for authenticity. And I never claim I'm an expert. (laughs) I can say, well, I've been hunting this many years. I've been fishing this many years, and this is something I prefer, or this is something I like. You don't have to agree with it, but here's an option for you. Um, and I'm I'm kind of laissez faire. Like I mean, this is in my political philosophy too. I think all of the above. You know, as long as you're not harming anyone, you're not hurting anyone, go for it. And all of the above, kind of like how I view my energy policy. <laughs> you know, of more options, more more means for people to explore and 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 be captivated by nature because we're not all wired the the same. I think we all have different interests. I mean, people have different hunting preferences. They have different fishing preferences. So it's all about preference. And as long as you just follow the rules and and you're a good steward of the land and a good, good conservationist, you'll be fine. And you can succeed and and you can empathize, even if you don't necessarily pull the trigger and
1: and go and do these activities. I agree. And and be, just be kind, man. I mean, if you, you know, if if you run into someone that's not as skilled or experienced as, as it is you are, help them out, Mm -hmm. teach them, teach them something because you're going to gain so much more respect from a person by giving back and educating. And, and, and I want to touch on that because you said something about, you know, making a living or monetizing what we do in the outdoor industry. I've been, I've been doing it for 20, 22 years now, and I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not mm-hmm. going to run from it. It's not it. a bad thing. No, no, it's not. I'm an outdoor, I'm a, I'm a guide, a, a hunting and fishing guide. I'm a, you know, I write, I take photos, I capitalize on on everything that's been given to me. I don't know how to do anything else (laughs) to be honest with you. You know, (laughs) I just do what I do because that's, that's how I was raised and that's how I grew up. So I'm not going to run from the fact that I make a living in the outdoors, but the key in my opinion is to give back. You can give back in a variety of ways. You can help educate young people, you can create content that's that's good for the sport, that's good for the culture, that's that's recruitable, that's marketable, that teach that's authentic, all those things. Just give something back so you left it better than than it was when you walked in the front door. Mm-hmm. And I think if you do that, you don't have to feel guilty about making money, monetizing on a YouTube page or or selling, you know, ad space to a sponsor. As long as you're doing it and and people are way smarter now. With visual content than they ever have been, and that's where a lot of the criticism comes from. You know, one person might get jacked and criticized for something because another person did something that gave everyone else a bad reputation or a bad name, or a, you know, it 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 categorizes or, or genres different things at different levels and all of a sudden an innocent person is associated to something that's not so innocent because they they're doing similar things and i think you have to be really careful with your criticism because not everyone's doing it for the same reasons um and we just have to be careful but again you know i'm pretty candid and open about my opinions i'm tr- i'm trying to be more careful <laughs> because i don't want to hurt our culture. So I am much more careful about where I step. I don't want to step into a pile of poop or on a landmine. (laughs) And, and I think that's important, but at the same time, I don't want to be so selective with my hearing or my voice that I come across as being disauthentic because I I don't think that's for me. I don't think that's the right way to go. If you ask me my opinion, I'm going to tell you my opinion. Mm -hmm. If you don't like it, that's your problem, not mine.
0: Yeah. It's just a thing about being judicious. I think with how you have different ammunition for attacking an issue or commenting on something like, I'm not going to attack someone personally or criticize something bizarrely if I don't feel the need to. And I, I, I don't do that. I'm not a keyboard warrior. I don't like to go to people's things and say, you suck because you vote this way, or you suck because you hunt or fish this way. I think that's really terrible. Even with some friends of mine who I disagree with politically, but we're all conservationists if I see something I like, I comment. If I disagree with something, I just, you know, leave it blank. I let them, you know, shower in their glory, you know, over an issue. If they're passionate about it, it's great. Like that's the beauty of tolerance and accepting difference of opinion. But when, when you can agree with something, you can shower praise, I think, rather than kind of just attack people. And like I said, it goes back to being just judicious and very prudent with what you put out there. So I think it's so important that, you know, paying it forward, being positive when necessary, and being just nice. I don't know why being nice is so hard to do
1: nowadays. It just <laughs> blows my mind how mean people are. yeah, it's unbelievable because and and again, you know the the whole the word hypocrisy has has been thrown around a lot in the past twelve months, uh, you know based on what we've seen happen politically. And I think you know, I think there's there's a lot of truth to that word hypocrisy, where you know, people are mean. It's like, well, you're mean because you believe you don't believe in, in in their policy or their way of thinking or their, you know, their theories. Yet you think yours is so right that they're supposed to believe you. And to me, that's just straight up hypocrisy. And like you said, what's wrong with being nice? I'm not. And, and, and again, this is something I wanted to touch on, too, because I believe this is another prediction of mine in the visual space. Okay, Mm -hmm. I believe that eventually things are going to get worse before it gets better, but it will get better. But what's going to happen, in my opinion, is right now, when you look at the the two different uh, uh, directions of of communication, social media platforms, news media, whatever it is, they're going two different directions and these people are preaching to the choir these people are preaching to the choir all we're doing is is addressing the congregation of people that agree with what we're saying so all we're doing is either validating what they want us you know they, they want you to say or you're validating your valida- you're validating through them what you're thinking mm-hmm. so in my opinion there's going to have to be some crossover to mm-hmm. make changes where these people are going to have to address these people because they're not preaching to the choir. They have to get to those people or vice versa. It can't be this anymore. It has to be it has to be there has to be some crossover or you're never going to get anywhere. You either watch you either watch Newsmax or uh, or, or, or Fox or. Or you watch CNN or, or MSNBC or whatever you watch. You either watch liberal news or you watch conservative news. And again, they're just preaching to the choir. They're not changing minds. They're not creating. They're not creating any kind of recruitment, in my opinion, to their theories and ideologies. You're just talking to people that already think the way you do. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and I, I think that's why. Yeah, I think that's why like outdoor activities are important <laughs> because we can get over. Let's say a hill, we can meet and sit by a campfire, we can go fishing in a river, we can go hunting. And, and convene at camp and, and break bread. And I think that's what people have lost. And I mean, that's why we've seen such a gravitation of people towards outdoor activities, especially this past year, because people are craving that authenticity, that outdoor experience. They want to escape the indoors. I think that's a hashtag that some outdoor company used. I forget which one it was, but people have said, well, we need to escape the outdoors. We need to escape this kind of like doldrum of being stuck in our house, being cooped up because studies have shown that you can be safely outside transmission of the virus is a Lot lower. So that's what has prompted people. I think actually it was a coalition of uh, different outdoor groups escaping the indoors. I think it was Trout Unlimited and a few others that banded together to do that. But um, that's the purpose of going outdoors. But even still, I think maybe it depends on where you live in the country, probably like somewhere like a California or New York, where you're still stigmatized for going outdoors or you can't wear a mask or something. Um, kind of in those more very tight-lipped states. I mean, places kind of like states like ours, which are certainly leaning one way, but there is a little bit of leeway in both Colorado and Virginia, um, amazingly, because we have an outdoor culture. So I think maybe it's a little different in our states compared to California or New York or some of the Northeastern or some of the Pacific Northwest states. Um, But I think, yeah, breaking bread and going outdoors, that's what these activities are supposed to be. And, And the fact that so many people forget that um, especially in wake of a pandemic or political divisions. I mean, that's going to be hard. Like I'm, I'm as politically conservative as they come, you know, this, and I know you are too, but I welcome anyone. Like I I spoke to a filmmaker who I have no doubt leans to the left. We had a great conversation about his new discovery channel program. And I think you can have your personally held views and not be a jerk about it. And I try to be that way. Like, I don't want people, I don't want to proselytize to people. Like you have to vote my way or you have to think like I do. But if, if you can hear me out, like, that's okay too. But I think when you talk about true conservation on a podcast like mine, it's not like a political conservative viewpoint. I think even people in the middle, people on the left, even adhere to balance use, they adhere to true conservation hunting as a conservation means, et cetera. So it's not supposed to be, you know, politically this, but many people who are conservative do believe in true conservation efforts versus preservationist, um, environmentalism or pr- preservationist ethos but i think um i mean that's why we have to get outdoors why we have to escape the indoors and meet and convene and break bread and and you know get people out of their comfort zone and i think that's a good way of getting people even people who agree with you i think i've had a lot of friends who are very um, opposed to going outdoors. And I was able to crack a little bit at the shell, teaching them how to fish, teaching them how to go strike bass fishing or cat fishing in a local pond or something. So it's just peeling away the layers, I think slowly but surely in, in people in your camp or people outside of your camp, and just teaching them about the outdoors. And I think that's one of the, we were talking about how it unifies people. I think it is it is one of the few things, but you even can get these stupid divisions in the outdoors because people want to insert their views one one over the other. And, and that doesn't help us either. I think with trying to get more people outdoors, trying to get people to enjoy. And this country is so vast where if you all congregate in an area, like if, if a lot of people congregate, it's not going to depress something. I think we we often hear people say, well, we don't want ATVs or we don't want this, or we think too much foot footwork in this area is going to be problematic, but I think people can control, you know, foot traffic easily. You can, like I said, if you're on a hiking trail, you can easily manage and make room for people. I don't, I don't think everything has to be viewed as like, all oh, oh, human activity is terrible on a parcel of land. I think that's problematic. And, and, and it just makes it so, well, if you only hike my way, or if you only do things my way, um, that's the only reason why you should be allowed access on a place. And I think that's a very bad philosophy to have.
1: I mean, if you don't like it, you know, move to Mongolia, <laughs> you know, there's there's four million people in a country in a country that's bigger than the United States. You know, I mean, you can isolate yourself if you live in an area that's, you know, again, this goes back to politics and and different different uh, divisions and, and whatnot, or, or talking about states like Colorado or Washington or, or Oregon or California. I still believe there's a, a great contingency mm-hmm. of conservatives in all those states, you know, the, the, the issue is population density. Mm-hmm. There may be, you know, ten thousand more people that live in suburbia or urbanized areas than there are that 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 live out in the vast countryside. That that live out there for a reason. And again, you know, I mean, this this it, this is a dog chasing his own tail because we we could talk about this forever <laughs> about all kinds of different issues and policies. And then the end of the day, if you you could take a middle guy, okay, you take a person in the middle, and talk to someone on your right. And find things that you don't agree about, like bow hunting with a a, a, a stick and string versus a high tech, you know, compound bow or a rifle. Or you could take a step to the left and find things that you do agree about. Whether it's whether it's you know in the in the in the a, a department of ecology or or educate something. There's something there that you can relate to if you just look for it. And again you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not taking sides. I just think, you know, when it comes to politics and and ideologies and theories, you can argue with someone, you can argue with your best friend about it, or you can come to terms with something, with someone you just met on a, on an airplane. Right. If if you, you you know, the key is just being, just be nice, man. You don't have to, you don't have to hurt someone because they think differently than you do.
0: Right, and I think that's what people have preconceived notions about. If you think one way, you you're hateful, and I mean that's what I always got in politics. It's not really germane to the podcast, but I think people are surprised, like, wow, you you're a conservative and you're nice. And it's like, I didn't know this. And like, well, I think you watch a little bit too much news <laughs> to think that all people are mean. And I've had to step away from kind of polarization, even in my own work, because I don't want to put out super inflammatory content. I've learned to kind of tone down certain things. And I, I try to be even killed when it comes to hunting and fishing content too. I mean, I'm an avid defender of some of the big game hunting, which is not really popular among some people, but I try to push it and, and educate people about it because I think it's important. It's a part a com- important component to the conservation model that we have in this country. And if you don't manage certain species, they're going to be very disastrous and very aggressive towards species in their own camp. I mean, with bears. I mean, if you don't control bears, it's going to harm other bears, ungulate species, and things of that sort. So I try to and you know get people to think. I think critical thinking is lacking, and and it certainly creeps into the outdoor industry too. I think. Um, but I want to talk actually more so about something a little unrelated, but you have a business and I know you were really hard hit in addition to your media company, but talk about your business in Colorado, your restaurant. What is that? And what have been the effects of being a business owner?
1: Yeah. So I actually, I own a bar. It's called the town pump. Uh, It was established in 1909. It's one of the oldest bars in the state of Colorado, Um, it's a very traditional old western saloon if we didn't have televisions and bumper stickers hanging on the wall you you'd walk into a place that you you know you'd see on a Clint East in a Clint Eastwood spaghetti western or something it's an old western bar and they just don't make bars like that anymore it's very traditional it you know it was very blue collar at one time Fort Collins has has Um, morphed into a different city because of the the population density and the the number of people, the reasons why people are moving to Colorado and particularly a town like Fort Collins. So it's changed a lot in terms of the contingency of people that come in there. But um, we were, you know, we were, we were hit hard. I mean, the governor Polis of Colorado, you know, he's a democratic governor um, I think he's a, he's probably one of the more balanced Democrats and uh, you know, as, as far as governors go in the 50 States um, I don't always agree with all of his policies because I lean right, but I do think he's been pretty fair with all this um, you know, within reason <laughs> and, and without, again, without getting into a, a whole nother realm of, of <laughs> disagreements politically for, for months Um, It was it was his decision. And he shut down the entire state, all the bars, restaurants, fitness centers, all those things that, you know, congregated people. And one of the arguments that we had as bar and restaurant owners, I mean, we were shut down for for 60 days with no business at all. We had to lock our doors. We couldn't allow anyone inside of our establishments. They were still sending us license renewals um, and, and tax forms for things that we weren't generating business to pay for. So there was a lot of, a lot of debate, lots of phone calls, lots of emails to my local politicians about what do you mean I have to renew my liquor license? I I can't even unlock my doors right now, much less pay for, you know, pay for an employee to be in there or pay my rent, which I still have to pay. And, and, and how am I supposed to pay for this license renewal when you won't even let me, you know, actively pursue that license that I'm, that I'm paying for. So we got shut down um, at zero revenue for 60 days. Then they allowed us to open up on our patios. Everyone knows COVID really hit the United States in mid-March of 2020. By June the 1st, we were completely shut down or, or locked down for two months. And then we started to trickle back open, okay, you can do, you can do outdoor seating, so every time we adjusted to something which costed money mm-hmm. to, to adjust to, because we had to restructure the way our patios were designed, or the way our outdoor seating was designed, I had to go to the city of Fort Collins, and, and the uh, Larimer County to re, um, reapply for more patio space. And I had to go through this whole bureaucratic, you know, process just to be able to comply to the regulations and mandates that the governor set for us as a state. And so it was very frustrating. And every time we we adjusted to one thing, something new came in, came down the rope And and then we had to readjust. And it was it was so frustrating because we could never get it right. We're still at 50 percent capacity. We can't open past 10 p.m. at night. You know, I have to have two employ or I have have to double my 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 uh, workforce because we have to have two people running the floors because our patio space is busier than our indoors because of the restrictions and one person can't run back and forth and, and, and all that space. It's, mm-hmm. there's so much open space now. It's very difficult we were operating at about 30 to 50 percent uh, gross revenue for almost a year. Now we're back to we're getting back. The, the weather's getting better. The the policies or the regulations are, are a little bit more open. Governor Polis uh, turned the decision making over to the county executives and the mayors of the towns and townships in Colorado. So that created lots of different conflict between red and blue spaces politically about one town being wide open conservative and then adjacent just 10 miles down the road an adjacent town or city is still totally not totally shut down but still restricted and lots of different Uh, areas and so there was lots of inconsistencies going on and those inconsistencies were probably the most detrimental to my business because Mm. again it goes back to division some people were approval approved of it and other people weren't lots of people most people don't mind wearing masks now just to get just to have the opportunity to go out and do something in a bar restaurant okay I'll wear your mask but you know again there was there was inconsistencies about how it was regulated and i think that was the most frustrating thing and that kept a lot of people inside but you know again as these other states open back up they're providing evidence that that it's okay to go outside now mm-hmm. and it's okay to go to a restaurant you know and 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 again one of the arguments that we had as restaurant bar owners was how can you shut us down a hundred percent and allow Walmart and these big box stores even Home Depot Lowe's Walmart you're calling them essential because they're selling food well w- w- you know why is why is why is this business essential why is shields essential and we're not is it do all is all I have to do sell food restaurants sell food you're saying Walmart, Super Walmarts are essential because they sell groceries. We sell food, too. Like, what's, you know, where do you where do you draw the line there? So in a in a long roundabout way, I hope I wasn't too long winded about this. But, you know, to answer your question, it affected us dramatically. It still is. And we're climbing out of the hole, but we can't climb fast enough because the hole was so deep during the heart and the soul of this COVID, this pandemic, and, and all the all the things that came along with it. Um, it it's it's going to take its toll on us for, for quite a while. I do know people in Tennessee and East Tennessee and Knoxville where they have two mayors. They have a county mayor and they have a city mayor. And their county mayor overrides the city mayor and the county mayor's conservative. The city mayor is, is liberal and the county mayor overrode uh, the city mayor and said, we're going wide open. We're You can take your signs down. You can take your masks off. You can take your social distancing guidelines away. We're going to operate at 100% wide open. And my friend um, Archer Bagley, who owns Archer's Barbecue, he owns, I think, four different location barbecue restaurants, and he opened a new bar restaurant under the same name. He called me yesterday and said they're operating at like 120% gross compared to the same two weeks that they're comparing it to in 2019 because people are ready to get outside and they're ready to be humans again. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, it depends on where you live. Um, I think outdoors is healthier all across the board, even pre-COVID. And I would hope people take that to heart. And were you able to get some assistance with like a GoFundMe? Did you ever apply for the Barstool Fund application
1: too? No. And there's a reason why I didn't, you know, we, we generated, you know, we did, we got 39,000 or I'm sorry $29,000 in the first mm. PPP program. Oh, good. Okay. So that helped us get us through the lot the complete lockdown from April, May and June. And then uh after that we were operating outdoors so we were really generating about 65 to 70% gross revenue when everything was was outdoor seating, social distancing guidelines were in place. We complied to everything. Every single guideline that our governor placed on us, we complied to it. We just could not generate the amount of revenue that we needed to operate, you know, at the level that we were. And and I ha- I, I haven't gotten a paycheck from my bar since March the 15th of last year. Oh. Yeah. So as 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 fall approached, colder weather, we're in Colorado. We don't live in we're not Florida. We're not, you know. South Alabama or or South Texas were Colorado. We have snow. This is the, you know, largest snow skiing hub in the world is Denver, Colorado. And so, you know, we anticipated, what are we going to do in the wintertime? And there was nothing we could do. We, you, you know, we, we we don't have enough patio space to generate enough, and people aren't going to come sit in an enclosed area, even on a patio space, when it's ten degrees outside and it's snowing sideways. So we took a huge hit in December, really November, December, January, and and, and most of February. We took a huge hit in revenue, and so we had to. Um, my last my last hope. And Hail Mary was a GoFundMe project. Um, that was the thing I was most familiar with because I had friends that had experienced it, and they had good experiences with GoFundMe. So I went out on a limb. We were about two weeks from from filing for bankruptcy, almost like totally out of money, completely drained in the in the negative, right? Owing people money. If we shut the doors today, we would have owed people money. We didn't have uh, any revenue to be able to pay those debts back, even even backlogged rent. So we started GoFundMe. We ra- In seven days, we raised $116,000. Wow. Yeah, and 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 we're still using that money to help subsidize our gross revenue that we're not generating. We're using the gross revenue to operate our business as usual, but we're still at you know sixty percent revenue right now. So we're having to make up that other forty percent with with the GoFundMe funds that we had. And we're using it sparingly, so we don't run out of it until this thing does open back up. Mm-hmm. We didn't go down the barstool route because everyone suggests lots of people suggested that that I get in touch with with barstools and and uh, uh, for, what's what's his name? That, Dave Portnoy. Was? Correct. And and I didn't do that because I felt like we generated people gave us money for uh, the GoFundMe project, and I felt like had I you know i predicted what we needed in 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 the gofundme space to help us get through june of 2021 that, that's where my projection was, because I feel like, OK, as warmer weather hits, we're going to be able to generate revenue again. Restrictions are going to be lifted. People are getting vaccines. Confidence levels are on the rise, all those things. And so once we get to that point, I think we'll be OK. And I didn't want it to look like we were out to make money with social mm-hmm. funding. So I never contacted uh, Barstools about about helping us out. I, I just didn't want to take more than we needed.
0: Yeah and that that's fair too and I think um they had stipulations where you had to not shut down your business for the duration you had to keep your employees so not everyone can unfortunately know, meet those criteria, but I think it was, um, a little bit more for slightly, de- I, I forget what the loans that they, or the, stip- uh, the stipends that they put out there, but it, I think you had received far more than, than you can anticipate it. You could have anticipated, uh, with, with your GoFundMe, but no, I just wanted to ask about that because I think people forget in the outdoor industry, a lot of people have multiple businesses and enterprises. And I thought that was, it's relevant, I think for the, the conversation here and, and for, for the podcast and, and YouTube simulcast, because I think people. Forget forget that we're also human we we have multiple interests and and this is part of the outdoor lifestyle that we have to be running different enterprises we have these different interests too in addition to to being in the outdoors um but sure. we have we've discussed so much jake where can people connect with you follow your work and potentially hire you for some projects if they're
1: interested yeah you can come to my website which is um lm lmcollective.com you can Obviously, find me on social media. Uh, I have lots of different uh, platforms. Uh, participate in all all of them except Twitter. I just mm-hmm. I just I can't go to Twitter anymore. There's just there's, it's it's too much of a, a it's too volatile for me. Um, But you can find me on Facebook at Jake Latondris. You can find me at Latondris Media Collective on Facebook. You can find me at Prairie Rock Outfitters on Facebook. You can go to Instagram. You can find me at Jake underscore Latondris You can find me at Outdoor Cameraman uh, under or Outdoor underscore Cameraman. You can find me at Latondris Media Collective. Um, you know I show up on lots of different uh, uh, podcasts. Um, you know if, if if I'm if if. If If my goal was ever to be ubiquitous, now is the time that I can obviously say I've been fairly ubiquitous because I'm pretty outspoken and and not so much opinionated, but outspoken about about you know what's going on, how this has affected all of us. So uh, you know, it's not hard to find me. Just just type in a few letters and and uh, you can find me pretty easily.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Jake, so much for joining me for this long conversation. I think it was great. And I think people will learn a lot from you and we can, I think, revisit again and talk more about video details. But I I think following you, I think people will be able to learn more about kind of the scope of your work, what goes into videography. But I think people forget that everyone has a lot of depth and, and different interests. So I appreciate you sharing your perspective and indulging me on different
1: topics. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate um, you having me on your on your podcast, and I hope that, you know I hope people do enjoy the conversation.
0: Like he mentioned, he is very approachable on social media. If you have questions about videography, business, things of that sort, he is a great repository of information. He mentioned and name dropped all his different social media accounts, so definitely get to following him if you don't already find us on facebook instagram and twitter to never miss a beat nor guest announcement check us out on apple podcasts leave us some reviews over there if you feel inclined and subscribe wherever podcasts are listed we're on i think close to two dozen podcast platforms so you will have no trouble finding us we're on basically every major platform which is awesome anyway I alluded to the Florida Everglades-themed episodes that should be rolling out very soon. I'm hoping to deliver. We want to sync them with some of my upcoming videos with CFAX, so those should roll very soon. I'm hoping this week, bear with me as we get them out, but we're trying to coordinate and effectively put them out. Anyway, thanks for listening. Stay tuned for more episodes, monologue discussions, and much more. We will... I think dive deeper into the debate over hunter recruitment through R3 recruitment and retention reactivation because it has generated so much controversy on meat eater and then also on and in response in outdoor life. So I will weigh in on R3 because I'm not afraid to weigh in on this kind of stuff since I have met many of the backers of the initiative. I've seen it work firsthand and we will debunk any misinformation about R3. All right. Thanks
1: for listening, everyone. Stay tuned for more episodes this week.